We're starting part two of our series in Hebrews chapter 11. We're calling it the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks a lot about people uh, that went before us. Hebrews chapter 12 starts by saying, therefore we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And these are the witnesses it's talking about. The people in Hebrews 11 are people that have gone before us and lived a life of faith. And their faith is recognized that they're part of this group of people that's talked about in Hebrews 11. And we're going to review a little bit, so if you, have your, uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those. It'll be up on your screen as well, but I do think it's good that you open up your word. All right, so let's uh, start with Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. This is what we talked about last year in the New King James. It says it this way. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, last week we talked about even that Greek word there, faith is the substance. That Greek word is the same word that is in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 when it talks about the very person of Jesus. So we talked about faith is not you believing for something as much as it is you believing in someone. In other words, faith in God, that's the faith we're talking about. Now, will that faith produce the results that God produces? Absolutely. If you have faith in the provider, provision will come because your faith is in the one who promises to provide. But we talked about our faith being in God. And in Jesus, that's where our faith is. So we, we got to make sure, because there's a lot of times we spend so much time, and if we get our faith off at all, then it messes us up overall. If my faith is in I have to see this thing happen, then here's what I'm doing. Say, God, I'm not really putting my faith in you. I'm putting my faith here. This is what needs to happen. We're telling God this is how we want it, when we want it, why we want it. But the faith in God says, God, this is who you are. I trust you. And your promises say this, so I'm putting my faith in you, and I know I'll see your promise. Because my faith is in you, not in that. Because if our faith is in seeing a manifestation alone without God, then we get condemned when things don't go the way we think. We start feeling condemned, like, oh, we did something wrong. We should have done this, and we should have done this. And it can be a very, very difficult process to walk through. So sometimes we skip the person and we go straight to what, you know, faith for this, which we do pray. The Bible says pray for one another, pray for. We do pray for, but our faith isn't in a work. Our faith is in God, right? Everybody with me on that? If you didn't hear that uh, last week, if you didn't hear the message last week, it's online. You can hear it and it'll help you give a, get a great understanding of where we're going. So it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. We talked last week about when you, let's say uh, you're going to do some traveling, let's say you uh, get a plane ticket or you have to book a hotel, you know, or a condo if you're going to the beach or wherever. Okay, when you book that and you reserve it, they send you a confirmation. They send you an email or a text or whatever that says, okay, this is, you have this place to stay. Now, when I, I gave the analogy when we went to the beach a couple weeks ago. We took a week and we got away, and when we did... If you were to ask me, um, do you have a place to stay when you get there, I would have said yes. Although I hadn't seen it, although I don't even know how to get there, I didn't have directions yet, 
but I knew that it was there. Even though I couldn't see it, even though I didn't even know how to get there, I knew it was there. How did I know it was there? Because I had a confirmation. I had something that said, this is yours for this time, and it will be there, and when you get there, it'll be there. That's all. I, that's the confirmation. And that's what, the, that's what faith is. See, faith says when, when I, I got laid off of my job and I don't have finances, I don't have this, faith says my God is a provider. Well, do you, are, are you going to be able to make it? Yes. How? I have no idea. I have no idea. For those that don't know our story, my wife and I quit our jobs. We didn't know what we were going to do. We just knew the Lord told us to leave where we're at to get ready, obviously, for this. But at the time, we didn't know. So when, I leave, when we leave and we have people around us in our neighborhood that are asking, what are you doing? And we're like, yeah, we're, uh, we left our job. So what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. So you already, did you, like, shouldn't you wait until you know before you quit? Well, that, that would have been easier. But the Lord said, I want you to leave. Remember when Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, I believe, or 21, thank you, my little help over here. I'll stand over here in case I need some more verses. Uh, it says this, it says, Abraham, he left. The Lord told him, he said, I want you to go to the land, listen to this, that I will show you. Okay, he didn't say go to this land. He said, leave everything and go to the place I will show you. In other words, that step of faith means I step out first, even without seeing it, but I know he'll show me. And that's what we did, and that is very uncomfortable in some ways, but it builds your faith and your trust in God because he's faithful. And now as a pastor and, and seeing what God has done, when we make decisions as a church, as a church council, I don't, I don't sweat about finances or money. That's why we don't do the whole pledge. You know, there's no uh, thermometer up here saying, come on, we need $10,000 champions. Let's go. We don't do that. You know why? Because God has proven himself over and over to me that he's faithful. He's just proven it. So we trust God. And when we stepped out, we, didn't, we couldn't see it. But that doesn't mean it wasn't there. God knew the whole time. So faith, faith looks at this and says, this is what God says. And even though I don't see it right now, I know that it's true. If God says he's going to provide, God's going to provide. I don't know how, but I don't know how he was, I didn't know how he was going to do it for us. But it was crazy how, how he provided for us. People came to the house. They didn't know anything that was going on. They leave, and there's a, there's a check on, our, on the table, on the desk. And I'm like, what's this check from? They snuck it in. So we invite them back next week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, come on over. Y'all want to do breakfast? You know? And uh, so, but you know what? It just came. A Sunday school teacher from when I was younger. I hardly ever sat through a whole class. She would kick me out of class early on. I never even sat through a whole, hardly a full Sunday school lesson. I'd get sent to big church because I was acting up. She found out I was in ministry, and she's like, Scott Jenkins is in the ministry? And she sent me a check just to say, I always knew you had it in you. I always knew you had it in you. 
So I'm just telling you, God was faithful. There is, he's faithful to his word. Faith says, because you say it, I can believe it. And I can trust you that you're going to come through. When God says, I will come through and I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, that means he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Because that's what he says. All right, so that's what we're talking about. Now, we're going to go to verse 4 because today we're talking about Abel. It says this, by faith we understand, or it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. So now we're talking about the first example that God gives us in this verse. In the first example that, that is given to us right here is the example of Abel. Now, how many know the story of Cain and Abel? Okay? You have Cain, who was born first. He's the older one. Then you have Abel. And it's amazing that when I looked at this, I thought, okay, you know, I, I remember the story of Cain and Abel. I'm just going to go over it, study a little bit. What, what was his faith? And, and, and how did he make it into Hebrews 11 as one of the strong pillars of faith? And here's the thing I want you to understand. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 2, Abel is born. Verse 8, he's dead. So he's alive for six verses. Now, that's a period of time. I understand that. Okay? But six verses. And that's it. There's not a whole lot about him. Yet he is the first one that's talked about. By faith, Abel. So let's look at the story. Go to Genesis chapter 4. It's not in your notes, but go there. I'm just going to read it. Like I said, it's just a few verses. All right. Adam and Eve, they had, she came pregnant. She gave birth to Cain with the Lord's help. Uh, produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented, listen to this, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. But Abel also brought a gift. He brought the best portions of the firstborn from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you, would do what, if you would do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. It goes on to say the next day, then Cain and Abel are out in the field, and Cain kills his brother. He kills him. Because he was, he was received by God. His offering was, and Cain's wasn't. So he was angry. And he killed his brother. Listen, I have two brothers. I'm the middle. Okay, I have a younger and an older. And so if there was ever a fight at the house, it was me and my younger brother or me and my older brother. My younger and older never fought. You know, some people say the common denominator, but that's not, I'm not the common denominator. I mean, I was. But, um, but never once did anybody think to kill, to kill each other. We'd fight, but we wouldn't kill each other. We wouldn't get that crazy. Cain killed him. 
So that tells you a little bit of this. So, again, this wasn't like they were born and then as little babies. Ever. This was, there was a lot that happened between Abel, Cain and Abel when they were first born and to this point where they're offering a, a gift to the Lord. But when it talks about the gifts, if you read it, you look that there was this one place where Cain just gives some of his crops. Abel gave the first and the best. And there was something about his heart, too, that revealed, it says in Hebrews eleven four 4, that there was evidence that he was a righteous man. So there were things in his life that showed his heart for God and his desire to please God. And when you think about giving your best and giving your first, there's a lot of times, and people have used this to talk about, you know, offerings and all that stuff. And I think it applies to tithing and stuff, too, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about giving your best and giving your first and allowing there to be somehow in your life there should be an example, should be evident that you belong to God. That's, that, it should be that way. So when you think about giving God, when you, you know, I have it there in your notes. When you think about giving God uh, your best, you know what that means? It means you trust him. It means you trust him. Because you're giving something that's like, man, this is the best I got. When you think about giving God your first, you're saying, okay, man, I, I trust you. You have to trust God to give him your best and to give him your first. You have to have him as a, a priority in your life. And it's easy to say, oh, I trust God. I trust God. But can I just tell you when you really know you trust God is when you have to trust him. I've always said, God, I trust you. Okay, leave your job. <laughs> oh, I trust you, God, but you know what? What do you want me to do? I mean, I wanted answers. And I found out that, do I really? And I had to walk through this growing time in my life of understanding it's easy to say it. But living it out is a whole different thing. So how do we know that we trust God? Are we willing to give God the best? What's the best? What's the first? Let's just put it in the same category, the first and the best. Because, you know, let's, let's, look at our, let's look at our daily life. When do we find time to, to be with God? When do we find time to just sit and listen or to read or to just, just be in his presence and let him speak to us through the spirit of God in us or through the word or, or whatever, however he chooses to speak to us. But how often do we take some of the, the best time that we have to just... Be with God. See, you know, for me, the best time for me, and I know people can, I've heard people preach on it, it's got to be the first of the morning. I'm just going to tell you, 5 o'clock comes once a day for me. All right, I'm not, when I get up, my eyes are swollen for about a, an hour. Patty knows, don't talk to him for about an hour. I'm not mean, I just don't function. So, that's not my best time, but at night, man, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm sharp. I do my best studying when everybody goes to sleep. During the week, people are asleep. I'm like, hey, it's just me and Jesus. And, and it's just, man, I'm clear, and my mind is clear, and we just, I just love it. That's the best time for me. That doesn't mean I can't adjust things. It doesn't mean I never pray in the morning or I can't focus in the morning. Sometimes you have to. You know, my kids start school, they got to get up at 5.30. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. 
keep thinking homeschooling might be a better option. So I'll start about 10, get you out the door. All right. So, but anyway, I know for me that my best, I want to give God the time when I'm alert and I'm focused and I'm ready to hear from him and I'm open to hear from him. That can be in the morning, that can be in the evening, but it's time that is set aside for him to give the first and the best. Okay, and I said, listen, this isn't a message about giving or offerings or tithing, but I will say this. We are a tithing church. We as a church tithe. Every penny that comes in here, we give 10% out. All, no matter what it comes in for, we give 10% out. And you know what else we do? We give above and beyond that. Why? Because it is, we are so much more blessed when we give than when we receive. But you know, the result of that is God's been so faithful. Why are we able to give? And why do we tithe as a church? Because we trust God. We trust God. I was telling someone this morning, I've tithed all my life from when I was 10 years old. My dad taught us early. We had $5 allowance. That, that could get you something back then, but $5 allowance, 50 cents tithe, 50 cents to the uh, missions, $2 we saved, and $2 we could spend. That was what we grew up. And can I tell you, I have never, ever, ever not had what we need. Because my, that's why I can say to you, I'm not depending on this church for my resource. Oh, man, if they don't, someone asked me about, you know, what I, how do I preach on tithing? You know, I've had people ask me that question for years. And we've talked about it and I've spoken on it. But I don't pressure people to give. Why? Because you're not my source. God is. And I give what's his to him, and he blesses the rest. But I do it because I trust him. It's not about money. It's about you. Like, what about your time? What about your talents? What about what can you give to the Lord to say you're important to me? Because, see, we give ourselves a lot of other stuff. We give ourselves a lot of stuff, but what, what's important? And I, I, have, I have made some changes in this, okay, so don't judge me when I tell you this, all right? We cool? You can judge me if you want to. It doesn't matter. People do. All right. I, I, I love to play golf. I don't get to play very much. And if you see me play, you, you could figure that out, that I don't play very much. But I love the opportunity to play. And it's amazing that I will have the busiest week ever. I mean, it's just like, man, I, uh, it's just stressful. It's got so much going. And someone will say, you know, like, I'll, I'm off. I usually try to take Fridays off. I don't always do well at it, but I'm getting better at it. And someone will say, hey, man, you want to play golf on Friday? And everything in me is like, there's no way. And I'm like, yeah. I'll work it out. Because if you really want to do something bad enough, you find a way. You find a way. A new donut shop opens. Hello, that one in downtown Concord. Hey, as soon as I hear, we can find time to run down there real quick and just receive the blessing of the Lord (laughs) just once, not overdo it, right? Those things are good. You ever been there? Who's been there? You can make a candy necklace out of those and just (laughs) eat all day, all right? But that's what we want to talk about. God is so important. We, We can find time. To say I'm too busy, no. It's that he's not that important. And I know that sounds harsh, but that's in reality, that's what it is. 
So we want to make sure that we get to know, we put our faith in God because you can trust God. And when you put God first, I'm telling you, things just get better. Things just get better all the time. Let's look at some scriptures about trusting God. Psalms 37, 5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. And what happens? He'll help you. How many have ever needed help? How many, are, how many hardly ever asked for help? Because, <laughs> we, you know, we do that too. It's not just men with directions, <laughs> which we don't do anymore because we have our little GPSs. But it's amazing how we just won't ask for help. You know why? Because we have this twisted mentality that thinks that we're supposed to know how to do everything. I will watch people do something and think they don't have a clue what they're doing, but they will not ask for help. We were at Ikea one day, and this lady, she had a box that was, I mean, it was huge. It's about six foot long, about that wide. I don't know what was in it, you know, and, and she's, she's got a, a small little car. She's got all the seats down, and she's trying to lift it up, and I'm watching. I'm like, uh, she's not getting that in the car. So me and Chase are walking over there. I said, let's go over and see if she needs help. But we didn't want to just run up on her and scare her. So we're just kind of walking until we get close enough to ask her if she needs help. And she's just, Ugh! and I said, can we help you? She's like, I think I got it. Okay. Now, I didn't want to, you know, embarrass her and just like, you know, do what a lot of people do. Oh, watch this, y'all. <laughs> Facebook Live, you know. I didn't do that. But you know what we did? We just said, hey, we don't mind. We can help. And she's like, okay. And then Chase and I picked it up and got it in her car for her. But I'm like, just, we're right here. We said we'd help. Let someone help you. You don't have to have it all. If we would get that same picture with God, God does not expect you to be able to figure everything out. Matter of fact, it's better that you don't. That's why he says, if you need wisdom, ask me, and I'll give it to you. In your, remember, we say this all the time. In your weakness, his strength is perfect, right? God, I'm weak. I don't know how to do this. Okay, good, then now maybe you'll let me. That's kind of the process of trusting God and learning to trust him. Let's go to the next verse. Very familiar right here. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. So we trust in God with everything. Here's what it means. We don't depend on our own understanding. Okay, we don't, we don't have enough understanding to know everything we need to know about every circumstance. But if we can trust in God... With everything, then it's okay that we don't know. It's okay that we don't understand everything. Then it goes to say, seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you the path to take. So every time when you, when you trust him with all of your heart, and you realize, I don't have what it is, then you're putting your focus on the one who knows, and he'll guide every step of your path. He'll lead you in everything. But you got to trust him. You have, to, you have to trust God. Let's keep going. Look at Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. If your thoughts are fixed on God and you are trusting in God, this is his promise. He'll keep you in perfect peace. How many could use perfect peace? You know why? You know when there's no peace? Is when there's no trust in God. When you think you have to do it, there's no peace. Your peace comes when you decide to put your faith in the Prince of Peace. 
And when your mind's fixed on him, you realize he can do anything. He can do all things. That he never leaves you, never forsakes you. That he's your strength. That he's your hope. He's your confidence. He's got you. We got to put our faith in him. Look at Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not heard, have you not understood, the Lord is an everlasting God, creator of all the earth, never grows weak, never grows weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired. How many of you become weak and tired? Right, all of us. Young men will fall in exhaustion. But listen to this. Those who trust in the Lord will find what? New strength. New strength comes when you find your trust in God. Strength just, it just rises up in you. Because you're realizing he's strong enough to carry you, to help you. And then look at John 14.1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How can you not let your heart be troubled? Well, he tells you, trust in God. Trust in me, he says. Why can you trust in God or trust in Jesus? Because Jesus says this, me and the Father, we're one. I say what he tells me to say, and I only do what he tells me to do. So basically, we can put our trust in him because he's good and he's faithful and he's going to take care of us. He's the only, he's the only person you can put your, your trust in. There's a, there's a scripture in Psalms that talks about even, even your friends who, who feed and eat with you and all that, they will still fail you. They will still fail you. How many have had a close friend that you trusted and they failed you? Has that ever happened? Remember that feeling? You'll never have that feeling with God. That feeling of disappointment, that feeling of letdown, that feeling of rejection, that feeling of hurt, that feeling of pain, you'll never have it with God because he won't fail you. He won't fail you. So where is your trust? The same place we talk about faith. Your trust can't be in a person. It can't be in a, a situation. It can't be in a circumstance. It can't even be in an outcome that you want. Your trust has to be in the one who produces that. Your trust has to be in God. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be where? In God. See, a lot of times we think, man, if I just had this, I'd be fine. If I just had this, it'd be different. That's not true. I know people, they got money, they got stuff, they got houses, they got cars, they got friends, they got, they got everything. And they're miserable. They're miserable because all that stuff can be gone like that. But when your trust is in God, you have nothing to worry about. It doesn't matter what our economy does. God's your source. Your job is a resource he uses, but God is your ultimate source. And if you trust him, he'll provide. He'll take care of you. All right, so, so we learn in Abel by giving his best. And giving the first, he's trusting God. And that's what God is honoring. Now look at Matthew 15, verse 8. I want to say this real quick because it goes back to what we say about God being first and what we do sometimes. Look at this scripture. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Now, I'm telling you that to say this. I want today to be a time that you look inside of your heart and realize, okay, where, where is God in my life? 
Because if God is not number one, that's all he can be. That's all he can be. If he's, if he's not number one, then to you, he's not God. Because whatever is number one is your God. So trying to make you second or third, he's not God to you. He's still God, but he's not your God. God is, he's number one. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's everything. And we're going to look at some scriptures that talk about putting him first and what it looks like to put him first. So let's, let's look at these, these scriptures. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Don't worry about these things. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of who? Think about this. Now, I'm not saying you got up this morning, what am I going to wear? You unbeliever! That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you're so worried about all of your needs, you're so worried about if you're going to have what you need, you're so worried about if you're going to make it, Oh, are we going to have enough to eat? Are we going to, am I going to be able to do this? You're so worried about all that. And don't let that dominate your thoughts. Because see, as a believer who is trusting and fully connected to God, you already know that your source doesn't run out. So you don't have to worry about all that. You know, God, you're going to provide. I don't know how, but I trust you. I trust you. That's how, you know, when we have prayer teams out here, that's how we pray. We pray God. We thank God that he provides. We thank God. If you came up to me and said, man, I just lost my job. And I'm just struggling. I mean, I got bills. I got kids. I don't know how it's going to work. We do not pray like this. God, hmm, I'm glad I'm not them, Lord. Lord, they're going to go through some crazy stuff. Lord, I don't know if they're going to make it or not, but Lord, help them in the process. Whether they go down or make it, I don't know. But Lord, hopefully you'll come through. Lord, just give them wisdom of what, what they need to cut and where they need to go and maybe some help somewhere. People aren't going to run to you to pray. But what if you prayed like this? What if you did like this? I'm just using an example. Father, I thank you. Your word says you're the provider. And God, I thank you right now that you will meet every need. Your word says in Psalms 37, the righteous are never forsaken. And your seed is never begging for bread. You will meet their needs. God, you were able to do exceedingly abundantly above all they could even ask or think. According to your power, that's at work inside of them. And I thank you for provision right now in Jesus' name because you are the provider. Help him be at peace to know you got this. Give him wisdom to follow you. May he hear your voice and steps he needs to take. But may he rest that you are his provider. In Jesus' name, amen. See the difference? One is you're hoping. The other is you know. Why do you know? Because you know God. And you can't trust God if you don't know him. But if you know him, you can't help but trust him. You, you, I promise you, if you get to know God, you'll trust him. You don't have to work on trusting someone who, who's perfect. Trusting me, that's different. Trusting someone else, that's different. But trusting God who never fails, once you know him, you'll trust him. You'll trust him. So we pray that way. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys 
where thieves break in and steal. Store treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. See, sometimes we get this verse mixed. Leave that verse up there. Sometimes we get it mixed up and we say, where your heart is, there's your treasure. Nah. It says wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. So whatever it is that you find value and that you treasure, listen, your heart is going to follow that. Your heart will be where your treasure is. Where's your treasure? Where's your heart? What do you want? What do you want to see? I can tell you. Look at your life. Look at your schedule. Look at look at it. Look at everything about your life and you'll get an idea where your heart is and where your treasure is. We want I want to be a person at the end of my life that this can be said of me. He loved God. And he loved the word. And he was an encourager, and he, he, always, he was willing to do whatever God asked him to do. That's what I want to be said about me. I, that's, that's, that's where my heart is. That's, that's what I think. If God is so good to me, and I know that he is, and I get to know him more, my heart just follows that. My heart follows that. Because my heart's going to be wherever my treasure is. Whatever is important is what I'm putting my heart at. If God's first, your heart will be there. Your heart will be there. We got to we got to trust him. We got to put him first. Look at John three thirty. He must be greater and greater. I must become less and less. Okay, I say this every time, but it's just there's new people, and you know we're all new. I just want to remind you this: you don't need more of God in your life. You need less of you in your life. That's it. So don't worry about praying, God. Please, I need more of you. You receive the spirit of God when you got saved. Not half, not a portion, not a little bit. You are a child of God. But the problem is that sometimes we think we need more of God because we're not seeing a lot of it. But some reason why we're not seeing a lot of it is because we got us. We can't allow us to block what God wants to do. We can't allow it. That's why I don't drink lemon in my tea. One time the seed got caught in the straw. Drove me nuts. You get no tea. The glass is there. It's full of tea. But there's none coming up. Why? Because something was blocking it. And I would have been stupid to say, uh, I need some more tea. Uh, your glass is full. Um, there's none in there. There's none. That would be ridiculous. The problem wasn't that I didn't have tea. The problem was there was something blocking me from accessing it. In our life, you don't have, like, God, he's just not here. Wrong, he's there. But sometimes it's us, and we get in the way, and we try to figure it out on our own, and we're blocking it, allowing God to do it. Just trust him. He's got you. Put him first. Go ahead and make every day about him. Get up tomorrow and say, God, today, all my business decisions, I want you to lead me. They'll be honest. And you'll be blessed. Lord, in my life today, lead me. Whatever you want. Listen, when you tell God, I'll do whatever you want, guess what? Man, you open yourself up for the blessing of God. There's people all over this community that are hurting. That if we would just say, God, use me today, you'll find your paths crossed with them. 
Because God's concerned about everyone. Why do we give people a chance to get saved every Sunday? Because we want to know, God, if there's ever people that are struggling and hurting, if you bring them here, we'll throw the net out. We'll, we'll give them an opportunity to come to know you. I look out, sometimes I think, yeah, I pretty much know everybody's saved. But you know what? I'm going to say it anyway. When I was a youth pastor and I did it, we had four kids one time. When I first started, just four. Two of them were preacher's kids. Two of them were uh, leader's kids. I'm like, heads bowed, eyes closed. If there's someone here and you need to give your life to Jesus, they're like, really? I'm like, I'm just practicing. Because we'll always give people an opportunity. That's intentional. Because we want people to always know. We want God to always know. You can send them here. We'll, we'll give them an opportunity. So we have to decrease and let God increase. We got to give them time. We got to give them, give them us. Luke 14, 26. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. That's pretty strong. Now, I suggest you don't go, you know, getting on Facebook. I hate my mom. I hate my dad. I hate my, all right? That's not what it's saying. It's saying in comparison to God, it doesn't even compare. Your love for them looks like hate compared to the love for God. In other words, it, it's not even on the same thing. Your walk with God is number one. Nothing is even close to that. If you want to be a disciple, it's got to be about God. It's difficult because we have so much at our, right there at our hands. We have so much. We can, you can get online and find stuff out. You can, you can do whatever. You can, we can work harder and get in you know, try to get more money, or we could just get another thing on the books, or we could do whatever. And we're just, we're so used to trying to figure everything out. And we're running ourselves crazy. And families are falling apart because we're spending all of our time doing stuff that doesn't matter. And God should be number one. And we just, we work, and then we rest. And we don't work when we're not supposed to work. We take some time and we're, we're a husband and we're a dad or we're a wife and a mom or a friend or a brother or a sister. Priority is not the same as what it used to be. We got to get back to realizing, God, you're first. That's it. You'll lead me on the rest of the stuff. But you got to be first. And then Acts 5.29, Peter and John, they're being told to stop preaching and doing all this. And here's what they say. Peter says, uh. We have to obey God rather than human authority. Can I just tell you, we're living in a day where there's going to be a time, and there's already times, where we're going to be faced with obey God or obey people. And we need to obey God. It's hard to do, even in just simple areas. And I'll give you an example. As a pastor... Listen, I grew up in ministry, I've been in ministry 22 years. And a lot of times the temptation is to do what pleases people. Man, if we were to do this, more people would come. If we were to do this, and we don't want anybody upset, or we want to try to be all things to all people. And, and, you know, but I'm just telling you, we, God has been very clear to me to stay in my lane. This is what God has called us to do, and this is what we're going to do. And there's no disrespect in this statement, but there's been times where people's like, I think this church should be more like this. And I thought, well, then you probably need to find another church. Because that's not where God has us. 
This is the lane we're in. This is our vision. Unless God changes it, we're not changing it. I don't have a vision being like, okay, we need a fresh vision. If it's a vision from God, let me tell you, the rest of, the, the rest of my life, I'm pretty sure this is still going to be valid. Matter of fact, you know, those strategic planners, which nothing wrong with strategic planning. I would just rather have a root canal than sit through all day strategic plan. But someone asked me, what, what's Thrive going to be doing in 10 years? Can you answer that question? I said, yes, I can. What is it? We're going to embrace people. We're going to encourage people. We're going to equip people. And we're going to empower people. That's it. And we have to, I have to know that this is where God has us. We're going to stay here. We trust him. All right. Now, the last part of what it says in Hebrews 4 is it says that Abraham showed evidence that he was a righteous man. So I was thinking, what, what in our life do we have to say, this, is, this, this shows you. This shows people who we are. Because, see, more things are caught than they're taught. More, people are watching what you do way more than what they listen to what you say. You can say all day, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I love God. But then if you don't live that way, it doesn't hold any water. People don't buy it. Matter of fact, you can see some of the roughest, meanest people say, especially on TV, say some of the worst, nastiest, horrific stuff. I just want to thank my God, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and I'm just like, okay. You might just be starting. I'll give you that benefit of the doubt. It'll, you, hopefully in a year or two, that'll change. I'm not going to judge that you're not. I'm just saying there needs to be some evidence of your life at some point there needs to be some evidence right now we're on a growth as long as you're taking moving slow even if you move slow you're moving the right direction you're good but at some point there needs to be proof or evidence i think that you're a righteous person now what makes you righteous not your works jesus you're righteous because of jesus how many righteous people do we have in here there you go if you think you have to do something to get righteous, listen, the Bible says you are righteous because God says you're righteous. It's because of Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus, you're righteous. You are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. That's what the word says. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Right? How many have all messed up somewhere? All of us. But look what God says in the next verse, my favorite verse ever. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we're righteous. So do we sin? Do we mess up? Yes. But guess what? That doesn't mean we're not righteous because the Bible says righteous people fall, but they get back up. So it's not about, but we can't associate ourselves as sinners or we're going to act the way we think we are. We see ourselves as righteous. We will begin to act more righteous. We're righteous because of Jesus. So we got that out of the way. Now let's look at a few things about righteous people and then we'll wrap up. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run to it, and they're saved. You want to know a sign that you're righteous is when trouble comes and things start coming your way, the first thing you do is you run to the Lord. That's how you know you're righteous, because your hope is in him. Your help in, is in him. Your peace is in him. Your, your confidence is in him. The righteous people, which is who we are, we run to him, and then we're safe. We're safe. I'm not saying anything about we can't, the Bible talks about encourage one another. There's a lot of one another's in scriptures. We have to be there for each other. Aaron and her were there for Moses and they helped him. 
But our first thing is to run to God. Run to God. I love the fact that I had the advantage because we planted the church, so I didn't have to work through any past stuff. But from the day we started this church, it's been very clear that I am not your source. God is. If you get a report, you go to the doctor, or you're at the emergency room, things are going on, guess what? If Scott can be there, he'll be there. But if he can't, Jesus still is. God is still there. And he's the one we're running to. And if I show up, I'm just bringing him anyway. So we, we're building people that can stand on their own two feet to know I serve the same God that my pastor serves. And that other people serve. And I can stand and, and speak this word and stand on his word and trust his word just like anyone else can. It's not about a person. Now, we still need people to come around and encourage us. And that's what we're called to do, right? But God is the source, and God is the one we can trust in and lean on. Righteous people run to him. Proverbs 24, 16, righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. In other words, if the righteous fall, they get back up. You want to know when you're righteous? You're going to fall. I wish I could tell you you're never going to miss it. But there's going to be times where maybe you miss it. And you know what righteous people don't do? Condemn themselves and beat themselves up and, and, and just sit down and quit and give up. Says, so you know what I fail? I'm getting back up. See, you don't ruin your testimony by messing up. You ruin your testimony how you respond to your mess up. And there's a lot of things that have happened. A lot of people have done some crazy stuff. My examples are more when I was really intense in softball and tournaments, and I would just make softball too important. And I was asked to leave a few games early, and it's just weird. I was just real competitive. But, you know, there were times as I began to grow that I realized there was times I would get upset and argue with the umpire about a call he made. But I remember one time I walked out back on the field and I thought, Scott, you got a problem. Too competitive. And I walked up to the umpire after the next inning and I said, sir, I apologize. You can make whatever call you want. You are in charge of this game. And I in no way should disrespect you like that. Guess what? He kicked me out anyway. <laughs> but you know what happened? Man, it developed a relationship. And all of a sudden he thought, you know, that's the real deal right there. He said, I know people are human, man. He goes, I don't mind you getting upset. But I've never had somebody come back and recognize maybe I was a little strong. And, it, and you know, you, I wish I could tell you that stuff, you know, oh, you know, you just, once you leave the field, you just leave it there. Man, it wasn't that much, well, that was probably 10 years ago or more. And just last year, I was doing a wedding, and the, the, the bride, her father came in. And I'm like, that's an umpire. <laughs> it was him. We're years past, years. And I was like, hey. He was like, hey, man, and we were just like we, like we never missed a beat. Why? Because you know what? I didn't ruin it by getting upset. But if I got upset, stayed that way, walked off, and just left it as is, I ruined it. 
But as soon as I went to him and said, hey, man, I'm human, and I missed it. I, I had a great testimony with him. He didn't come in thinking, oh, my gosh, that's your pastor. He came in and he said, man, that's your pastor. That's a good man right there. You can fix it. Righteous people, they get back up. They make it right and they keep going. They don't give up. There's got to be the fruit in your life. Last verse, Galatians 5, 22, 23. There should be fruit in your life because of the Spirit of God in your life. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. In other words, as a child of God, at some point, this stuff should manifest. Love. How do you love people? I'm not talking about love the way we love pizza. I'm talking about love that's genuine and real, authentic. Matter of fact, it's a kind that God says, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. More than a miracle working thing, they'll know by your love. He says right before that verse, he says, love one another as I've loved you. That's a different kind of love. You know, God didn't look at you in your junk, in your mess, and say, until you clean up, mm-mm. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you in your worst moment. And when you come across people who live a different lifestyle, you come across people who don't look the same way, you come across people who are involved in things they shouldn't be involved in, guess what? You don't have an option to love them or not if you're going to have God's love flowing out of you. It doesn't mean you condone anything or agree with anything, but if you never embrace anybody, you'll never have the opportunity to encourage them. We have to love. Joy. Joy. Joy is not when everything's right. Joy can happen even when you're going through a difficulty. Habakkuk says there's no cattle on the stalls, no fig tree on the vine. There's no fruit on the vines. Fig tree's not producing. Nothing's going right. Yet I'll rejoice. I'll still have joy in my salvation. Peace. Peace isn't the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of the Prince of Peace. That's what peace is. Even when things are rough. Jesus was at peace in a storm on the boat. On the ocean. He was at peace. Patience. I'll make it still work on that one a little bit. Yeah. Gentleness. Goodness. Kindness. Faithfulness. Self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Wouldn't that be spirit control? No. The spirit gives you the strength to help you control yourself. There is no, I can't. It's just too difficult. It's amazing sometimes I see parents who let their kids do whatever they want. They're like, well, that's just that age. Nah. They can control. I remember at this times I'd be a wild child. But my grandma, mm -mm. my grandma believed in laying hands on the sick, and she saw me as sick, and she would... <laughs> She would whoop me. She would whoop me. And I'm not talking about a correction. I'm talking about a whooping. There's a difference. And when you get whooped, you learn. And I could act foolish and my grandma come around the corner. People that say, I couldn't help it. I, couldn't, I'm just, I just drive this way. I just, you know, I just fight. I'm angry. But if there's a police officer around, oh, you can't control how you drive until you come over the curb. And there's one. 
We got more control than we think. I told you about that dude one time. I'm that dude, sorry. That young man that walked out of church one day, he said, he said, uh, Pastor, listen, I can't stop cussing. I said, that's funny, man. I've never heard you cuss. Well, I don't do it around you. <laughs> Did you catch that? That means you can stop. Because when I'm around, you don't. Right? So we have the ability to control it. That comes from the Lord. It comes from the Spirit of God to really control ourselves. So listen, in our life, this is what God has for us. To be people that by faith we come to God. By faith we know that he will take care of us. So we can give him our first. We can give him our best. And there will be stuff in our life because of the way we trust him that it will show itself to other people. Even after we're gone. Abel, like I said, Abel was alive for six verses. Short, short time of, hey, look, Abel's born. Look at his, look at his sacrifice. He's dead. That fast. But yet there was something about him that stood out, that he was a man of faith. I want us to stand out as men and women of faith that trust God no matter what. No matter what, we want to be the kind of person that says, God, I trust you. I'll give you my best. I'll give you my first. And I'll allow what you're doing in my life to manifest to those around me. Because I trust you.